Today we are doing something special. We are here planting rice for the first time for literally thousands upon thousands of people who do not know Jesus in Gresham. Amen. eight-year anniversary and we're celebrating, we need to start with this idea that we boast in Jesus. This is what we're celebrating, okay? And now, I, look, I love the cupcakes, even Zach sweats, I'm good with it, you know, all of it, the swag, the, the celebration, all of it. But we have to remember, this is all for Jesus. This is all about Jesus. This is for his glory. He is the one who is building. He is the one who is moving. We celebrate this stuff not because we are great, but because God is great. Not because we are innovative, but because he is faithful. Who does God call? He calls the uncallable. Who does God use? He uses the unusable. Who does God love? He loves the unlovable. We boast in Jesus. Oh man, this is so fun. So we started Church in the Park a number of years ago, and uh, we did it on 4th of July weekend because nobody comes to church on 4th of, 4th of July weekend. And so we're like, well, we'll just do it at a park. And it was literally like fried chicken and a message, right? And then here we are, and because people want to worship Jesus, amen? There's a joy and there's a celebration in the gathering. So uh, here's what I want to start out. I want to start out with a story about a guy named Lawn Chair Larry. Okay, Lon Cherry Larry, uh, he, in the late 1980s, um, he went to a, 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 an Army-Navy surplus store, and he bought 75 used weather balloons, and he filled them up, and he tied them to a lawn chair. And the lawn chair was in the back of his pickup truck, and uh, he, he wanted to um, get a little bit of a better view of his neighborhood, and so his plan was to, you know, release these balloons and get a better view of his neighborhood. And he brought, only brought three things with him. He brought a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He brought a six-pack of beer, and he bought a fully loaded BB gun. And so uh, Larry, with a bunch of his friends gathered around, um, he, had, he had one of them untie this, uh, this chair from the back of his truck. And uh, unfortunately, Larry shot into the air like a rocket. He was hoping to just kind of lazily like make his way up. And so Larry did the only thing he knew to do in a stressful situation. He cracked open that six pack of beer. And uh, about 2,000 feet in the air, he passed out. Two and a half hours later, there was a report from the Los Angeles International Airport of an unidentified flying object hovering about 16,000 feet above ground. Uh, Larry, the reclining cosmonaut, he was now three miles in the air and about 100 miles away from his original launch site. They finally got him down, and uh, when they get him down, 
Uh, after being revived to consciousness, Larry was promptly issued a $4,000 fine by the FAA for operating, you can look this up, this is true, operating an aircraft without an airworthiness certificate. So before you get you kids get any ideas of, of tying some of these balloons to your chairs, I don't think it's a good thing. There, there's a large fine there. And so uh, when, he, when he got down, a journalist had a few, three questions for him. Uh, they said, Larry, were you scared? And he said, yes. I, uh, actually, Larry had a few more colorful words, but since there's a church in the park, we'll just leave it at yes. Uh, they said, Larry, would you do it again? Larry said, no. Uh, at least Air Lair Bear is a quick learner, so we're, we're good with that. But finally, they asked, why did you do it? And Larry said, I just got tired of always sitting around. And here's the thing, church. Uh, the, part of the reason why we are growing restless and discontent in our lives is because deep down we know we are created for a deeper purpose. Amen? Like there, there's something in our bones something longing within us. See, when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, showed up 2,000 years ago, he came to offer the abundant, meaningful life of purpose that we all long for. That's part of what Jesus came to do. And so here's what I want to do today as we are gathered in this park. I, I want to look at one of the most famous stories of Christ. A story when, when uh, roughly 10,000 people gathered with him in a park like this. Uh, probably 10 times as many people are here. And he fed them. Okay, so every gospel, every one of the four gospels, which is an account uh, from some of the early disciples of their time with Jesus, they all record this gospel. But we're going to look at Matthew's, Matthew's gospel. So if you, have the, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 14. If you don't, I'm going to put it up on the screen so you can follow along. But the reason I want to look at Matthew's gospel is because Matthew zooms in on not just how it impacted, this miracle impacted the crowd, but how this miracle impacted the disciples, the, them being that close to it. And as we read this, I want to ask just one simple question. What does Jesus want for his church, of his church, for our city? Like, like we're gathered here in the middle of our city for a reason. And it's because Jesus has something for the city of Gresham. Jesus has good for it. He has compassion on it. And he wants to send his church to meet the needs and bring good news and preach the gospel and do it with power. And so that's the lens we're going to be looking at through. So Matthew 14, starting in verse 13, says, Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Now, now what did Jesus hear? Well, what, what has just happened is Jesus has just heard that his dear friend, his cousin, the man who baptized him, John the Baptist, uh, has been beheaded and killed. And so Jesus, the context of this miracle is Jesus, he's going away to a desolate place to grieve. And it says, but when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. What does Jesus have for us? What does he call us to? The first thing is Jesus calls his church to compassion for our city. That is the lens that we need. Look, think about this. He's in grief. He's mourning the loss of his friend. He goes to get away and this crowd shows up. And rather than allowing his grief, pain, exhaustion to move him away from hurting people, Jesus allows his suffering to move him towards empathetic compassion for the hurting and the broken. 
That is how Jesus views you. Now, and maybe you are new to this whole uh, Jesus story. You've heard rumors about him and you, you have ideas of who he is, or maybe you've been following him your entire life. But honestly, you might be like me. When you're going through hardship, you don't want to tell people, right? Because you, why, you feel like a burden to them. You, you don't want to open up because you're like, no, they're going to reject me or I don't want to put that on. I need you to hear this. You are not a burden to Jesus. He looks at you with compassion. And if we would bring our weakness and our addiction and our suffering and our pain to Jesus, he is not angry or disappointed with you. Rather, he is moved with compassion all throughout the gospels. This is this key word that describes Jesus. He is moved with compassion. It, 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 there's the Greek word for it. It's this word splanknizo, okay? Everybody say splanknizo. Okay, good. Now dry the back of the neck off the person you just spit all over, right? It, what it mean, it, it's where we get the word spleen. It literally means guts, okay? It, it's it, because it's a compassion in our guts, and, and it's a compassion that moves us. We feel it deeply. I just want you to see some of these examples of Jesus's compassion. First, there's Jesus's compassion to an outsider, a man with leprosy. And it says that he was moved with compassion, a man that was disconnected from his society and his world. And Jesus was moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and he touched him. A man who was considered untouchable, unlovable, and Jesus is moved with compassion for him. Next, we see a story of Jesus and this grieving woman who has just lost her son. And the woman, she's grieving over this death, and he comforts her, and he says, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. And he heals her son. And the third is we see this story, that this parable that Jesus tells, known as the parable of the prodigal son. And he's explaining what the father's compassion is like. And he says, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. I don't, I don't know where you find yourself in one of these stories, but if you feel like an outsider or unloved and unseen, you're not by Jesus. He sees you and he has compassion on your pain and your suffering. I know many of your stories. There are many of you who are grieving today. You are not a burden to Jesus. Jesus has compassion on you and he's the only one who can actually do something about it. Or maybe you find yourself in the gutter living a life you never intended. Like, I just need you to hear this. God is not angry with you. That is not his posture towards broken people. He is a loving father longing for you to come back to him that he may pour out his compassion through his son Jesus on you. This is the way of Jesus. And this is the story of the whole gospel. This is the story of the whole Bible. In the Old Testament, there's this story of this man named Moses. Okay, now Moses walked with God, and, and God actually spoke to Moses, and Moses writes the first five books of what we have as our Old Testament today. And, and there's this moment where, where Moses says to God, he's like, show me your glory. And what he's saying is, I want you to reveal yourself to me. I, I, explain to me, show me what you are like. And so he has Moses hide behind this rock, and God passes by. And then through words, he explains his character, and this is what he says in Exodus 34, he says, the Lord, the Lord, that's his personal name, Yahweh. The Lord, the Lord, 
the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. This is what God is like. He is compassionate. He is gracious. And when we meet Jesus, we need to understand that Jesus is God's compassion and grace put on full display. When we see him heal, it's because he longs for us to be healed and whole and restored and renewed. He is a glimpse of God's compassion. And this is what the disciples learn in this moment. And this is what we need to take away. When we see a story like this, that, that we should be moved by compassion. The same compassion that Jesus had for this crowd, Jesus has for our city. Amen? And so when we see the brokenness of our city, stop thinking, man, maybe we should just move away. Did Jesus run away from the brokenness? No, he ran towards it and he was moved with compassion and that must move us. So uh, I have two kids, uh, my son Dax, he just turned nine and uh, he's the older brother to Nova, she's six and a half. And, and my wife came, she walked downstairs the other day to Nova's room and saw, witnessed a miracle, a real life miracle. Uh, the kids, they were sitting on the floor and Dax was playing with his sister like lovingly, like smiling, playing with her Legos. And she was just so moved in that moment. And she goes up to them and she's like, Dax, you're so loving. And Nova, look at you guys playing together. And Nova looks up at my wife and she just says, yeah, I paid Daxie $5 to play with me. <laughs> and Dax just goes, yep, <laughs> and keeps playing, right? What moves us towards compassion? Hear me on this. If our motivation, our driving force, our source of love for our city, you guys, it has to be grounded, rooted, and found in experiencing Jesus' love ourselves. That has to be our source. If it is anything else, anything else but God's compassion and grace and love that compels us, it's going to fall short over and over. Timothy Keller, pastor in New York, he explains it like this. He says, your attitude toward the city is one index of whether or not you know that you're a sinner saved by grace. He says, what's in one indication of whether or not you've been saved by grace and you know it? How you love the city around you. How you care for those around you. If you know you're a sinner saved by grace, you can no longer feel condescension or condescending towards people who don't believe or live like you do. You won't be so absorbed in your own comforts and all the things that keep you from loving the city. God says, if you understand my grace, if you understood my grace, and if you understood my nature, when you look at a city, you would love it instead of hating it. That is what we are called to, church. That is our posture. That is what Jesus is, is pointing us to. We need to understand and experience God's grace first ourselves. But then when we do, it moves us outward. And this is what we see in verse 15. As we continue on in the story, it says, Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a des desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. See, here's the second thing we learn from this passage, is that Jesus calls his church to meet the needs of, of our city. It's on us. The church is God's plan A and there is no plan B. You hear me on this? Look, the disciples had every excuse, didn't they? 
They're like, look, it's desolate. We're tired. We're exhausted. It's the end of the day. We need to send them. We need to put this burden on someone else. And, and listen to me, church. I feel like I hear this more and more by followers of Jesus. They're like, nope, what we need, we need policy change or we need political reformation. That is not what our city needs. What our city needs is the church's love and compassion driven by Christ. That's what we need. And so we should look around and we should have deep compassion. Just as Jesus came as a display of God's love for the world, his disciples are called to be a display of Jesus's love for the lost. That is our call as the church. That should be our posture towards our city. Jesus says, they need not go away. You, you give them something to eat. You be moved by that. You feel that burden that you see, whatever it is. We should not be unmoved by the needs of our city. We, we can't grow numb to it. Sometimes we spend more time reading about news across the world or across the country. And it's made us emotionally numb to the needs next door where God has actually placed us to do something about it. Church, don't let your heart grow numb. Don't let it grow numb to the wounds that, that you see, the hurt, the addiction, the pain, and the suffering. In the early 1900s, there was this brilliant theologian. Her name was Dorothy Sayers. And she put it like this. She's talking about, she's talking about this idea of apathy. And I think it's important for us to understand because a lot of times we think, we think, okay, what's the opposite of love? It's hate. But really, I would argue the opposite of love is the absence of love, which is apathy. We are called to love our city, but we've grown cold in these ways. And this is what Dorothy says. She says, it is the sin, talking about apathy or, or, or slothfulness, it is the sin which believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and only remains alive because there is nothing it would die for. I mean, I read that and I was just like, I don't want that to be my heart. I don't want a heart that grows cold. I want a heart moved by compassion. And I just have to point out, I was like, I was trying to find a picture of Dorothy Sayers and I found this old painting of her and I just, you just had to see it. Okay, here's Dorothy. She's just holding a Bible in one hand and a cigarette in the other. She, the only thing she's apathetic towards is what you think about her. Am I right? She's just slaying us with her theology in moments like this. And, and, but, but I think we need to listen to this call and we need to be burdened by our city. We need to have compassion for our city. When we see crime, we should be the church that moves. See, the church is called to put the compassion of Jesus on full display. That is what we're called to. And so when we see schools falling apart, it's the church that needs to respond. When, when we see our pregnancy resource center in the middle of the city set on fire, it's the church that needs to step up. When we see foster and adoptive needs, it's the church. When we see marriages falling apart, it's the church. That is our calling and our mission. That's why it says in Proverbs, through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. You guys, Jesus, he displayed compassion and he sent his followers to meet the deepest needs of the people of the city. And, and I just hear this narrative over and over. People are, are, they're saying no Christians or the church, they're just angry, they're hypocritical, they're bigoted, they're hateful, they're prideful, they're selfish. Can I just tell you, can I just say, like if people are marked by anger and hypocrisy and hate and pride, they are not Christians. They may be waving the flag of Christianity 
under the name of Jesus, but you need to look whether or not they're walking in the nature of Jesus. See, the nature of Jesus, it's marked by compassion and grace. We'd see fruit. We see love. We see joy. We see peace. We see patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And there's this, there's this whole narrative out there that the church is just dying and dwindling in influence. Like, I'm sorry, but like, I feel like our church has something to say about that. Amen? A church marked by grace and love for our city that will declare with vitality that Jesus is alive and well. And he's calling us to love our city. See, a church starts to die when it turns inward. And we need to continue to face outward. See, the church that Jesus built and died for, when he ascended, that 120 men and women that he sent out before he left for heaven, they flipped the world upside down as we know it. Like, and if you have not experienced that, come to church. Like, come experience this beautiful community. Experience lives being transformed addictions being healed, marriages restored, children loved on. See it. See, we've seen a, in our, across the world, the church has made a massive impact. I, I just want to, I, I just, just to give you a few examples of how the church flips cities upside down. Do you know a majority of hospitals are built by churches? That, that's why when you see their names, it, it, there's always some, some kind of spiritual realm to it, right? Adventist, we have Adventist hospital, right? You know what that means? It's the arrival of Christ, Emmanuel. It means God with us, Good Samaritan. It's literally a story that Jesus tells. We call it Good Sam now, but it's Good Samaritan. That's, what it, that's the root providence. What does that mean? God provides. O-H-S-U, our Holy Savior's University. Okay, maybe that one's a lie, right? But four out of five is not bad, am I right? You see the root of, of it's the church responding in compassion. This is what the church does and what it's called to. Do you know that, that followers of Jesus are two times as likely to foster and adopt? Because they are moved by the compassion of Jesus. Even blood donations. They've done studies that, that followers of Jesus are two and a half times as likely to donate blood. Why? Because we're moved by the compassion of Jesus. Even in a city, the higher a city's church membership, we see things like, uh, we see things like burglary and larceny and, and robbery and assault and homicide rates plummet, right? Or just have that SWAT tank just roll around. That also will make it plummet, right? But, here, but here's the point. Like how, nobody, nobody stole a car to come to church today. That, right? You see an impact in a city for a holistic good. When we allow the compassion of Jesus to move us towards blessing our city, we are joining with hundreds of generations of the church before us, transforming the communities in which, we find, which they find themselves. That's the call. Because that's what Jesus wants for us, even right here in our own community. There was a guy named Barry Birch. And when he was about 40 years old, he hit rock bottom. He faced all kinds of addiction. He, he, he lost almost everything he had. And when he hit rock bottom, the church came around him and they helped him get back on his feet and restore and he gave his life to Jesus. And shortly after that, he had this loaf of bread showed up. It was like this squished loaf of bread show up on his porch and him and his wife, they were like, well, we don't actually need this, but we have a neighbor that we feel like is in need. 
And so the Holy Spirit just guided them over and they, they went to this house and they knocked on the door and they're like, look, we're sorry it's squished, but this is all we have and we just want to offer this to you. And in tears, they looked at them and said, we were just sitting down as a family trying to decide whether or not we were going to buy groceries to feed our kids or pay our electric bill to keep our kids warm this winter. And you showed up with that loaf of bread. In that moment, Barry Birch, he knew what he wanted to get, dedicate the rest of his life to. And so, so literally, he, they, they began something called Birch Community Services. And it's right here in our community. Last year, in 2021, 50,000 grocery carts worth of food were distributed to what they classify as the working poor. People who are up to their eyeballs in debt, they maybe have a home, but they can't even afford groceries. Why did he do this? Because he was moved by the compassion that he experienced. This is what we need in our lives. When we experience the life-changing compassion of Jesus, it has to compel us outwards. It has to move us to share that same love and that same grace around us. And, but for some of us, there's still something that holds us back. There's still something that keeps us from, from actually living the calling. And you know what it is? It's this lack of faith to believe that our insufficiencies and weaknesses are enough in the hands of an almighty God. I, I want you to see this here, and I want to end, end on this part, okay? This is what he says. He says, they said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. See, you guys, Jesus calls his church to display his power. When he commands the disciples to give them something to eat. He's calling them to do something that he knew they could not do in their own power or with their own resources. He wanted them to recognize their insufficiency and at the same time to realize his sufficiency. What do they say? They say, we only have. That's the excuse we use, amen? Like we, we're constantly saying that. Oh, but we only have this. What are your only haves? We only have a small apartment. We can't be hospitable to others. We only have enough food for ourselves. We can't feed others. We only have a little bit of an experience in our marriage. We can't help others through their trials. We only have a two-bedroom house. We can't foster a child. We only have a little experience in Jesus. We can't call and make disciples. We only have a renovated skating rink. We can't flip a city upside down. L listen to me. Of course you only have because God's power is made perfect in your weakness. That's why you only have. He is going to limit. He wants to limit your resources so that you can become unlimited in your reliance. That's the point. He's trying to push us in these things. And so stop looking at your insufficiencies. Stop looking at your weaknesses and lacking faith that God can use those. What happens is this little boy shows up with a Lunchable, five loaves and two fish, and we, we constantly are saying, I don't have enough. Well, like, what are your five, what's your five too? What are the things in your life that, hey, this is insufficient. This is not enough. Do what Jesus says in this story. He says, bring them to me. If we would bring them to Jesus. See, your problem isn't that you have the wrong gift or the wrong talents or insufficient resources. Your problem is you're not offering what you do have into the service of Jesus for him to multiply. 
And that's what we need to do as a church. We need to bring what we have to Jesus. Jesus has given us everything we need to accomplish everything we've been called to. If we would but bring it to him. Now, I have this friend at, at Rise. His name's, his, his name's John Maynard. And uh, for many years, John, is, he, he suffered from PTSD. Uh, he would have brutal nightmares at night. And John actually ended up getting a service dog that would help him with his P- PTSD. Uh, the service dog's name is Truman. And John, they become like this icon in our church because John is there for multiple services on a Sunday. He's there all day. And he's just like walking around just praying over people. And for some reason, every time I see him praying over, over somebody, they're just moved by it, right? And I, there's times where I'm like, John, like, how do you just know? Like you, it's like you just walk up to these people and you just know. And so we were at this huddle a few weeks ago, and it's something where we gather around before a service, and, and, we're, and we're getting excited, and we're cheering, and all of a sudden, there's this loud cheer, and his dog, Truman, was, was laying next to John, you know, borderline asleep, and all of a sudden, there's this loud cheer, and Truman jumps up and immediately looks at John, okay? And so I go up to John, I'm like, oh man, I'm so sorry we startled Truman. I didn't, we didn't mean to, I didn't mean to scare him. And John looks at me, he goes, oh, we didn't, you didn't scare Truman. Truman knows that loud, sudden noises trigger me. So Truman immediately got up to check on me to make sure I was okay. And I'm like, that is amazing. And then I'm sitting there and I'm talking with John and, and he's explaining how, how Truman can smell, can smell his anxiety when it starts to, when it starts to build. And so he'll, he'll, he'll notify John. Hey, he checks on him and he tells him to, to sit down. He puts his head on his chest. He does different things like that. And he says, but Truman has gotten so good at smelling it at me, that he actually, he can now smell it in other people when they have stress or fear or anxiety. And so he, Truman will trigger me to other people and I'll go up to them and I'll just say, hey, can, can I pray for you? And almost every time they're like, I need prayer. How, you know, how did you know? And I'm like, John, you have a cheat code, man. No wonder you seem so compassionate and moving. You have this cheat code. Like, I wish we all had dogs like Truman just, you know, walk us around. Listen. But can I just tell you this, church? Jesus sent you a cheat code too. It's called the Holy Spirit that lives in you to move. To, so we sit there and we're like, I don't have enough. But the same spirit that raised, rose Christ from the dead lives in you and empowers you. This is what we need to understand is that, that we are blessed and we are broken and we are given. Again, I just want to read this passage. It says, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowd. This is a picture, blessed, broken, given. This is a picture of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus, when he was commissioned for ministry, he's baptized by John the Baptist. And the Father, the voice of the Father comes down and says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And he's blessed and he's commissioned for ministry. And you know what, church? So are you. So are you. God has blessed you. It tells us in Ephesians, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Stop looking at your five two. Stop looking at your insufficiencies and say, okay, yeah, but maybe somebody else can do that. Maybe somebody else can disciple. Maybe somebody else can invite. Maybe somebody else can walk with them. 
the reason it's been put on your heart as a burden is because you are the one who has been called and equipped for this good work in this moment. That's what it means to be the church. And then Jesus, he breaks this bread and it's this picture. It's a symbol of the cross. The the very crux of Jesus' ministry was his body broken so that we could be made whole. And listen to me. Jesus is going to break you. And it is a good and beautiful thing because you are dead to your old self. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. This is the ministry of Jesus, that we would be blessed so we could bless others, that we would, could, would be broken so we could be opened up to Jesus and his church and what he wants to do with us. And then he gives this bread out that we would be given. See, at the resurrection, Jesus, he conquers over the grave that his grace may be freely given to all who believe. And God takes and he uses broken lives and scarred hearts and screwed up paths if we would surrender and offer them to him. And then our life and our story and our testimony, it's given as an act of grace towards others. You guys, God's gift to this city is his redeemed people empowered and sent out as a display of his power and his grace and his love. What does Jesus want for our church? He wants us to be moved by the compassion of Jesus. He wants us to experience his love and his grace in such a deep way that it moves us outward towards others, that we can't help but show others grace and goodness and kindness and gentleness. And he wants us to be done with our excuses. That says, I'm not good enough. That says somebody else should do it. No. He has given given you everything you need to accomplish everything he has called you to. Man, in a minute here, we're gonna have brothers and sisters get in this water. And it is a symbol of the gospel because when they enter those waters, it's a picture of them entering into Christ's death with him that we identify with Christ, that we, our old self is buried with Christ, is broken and is no more. But guess what? We don't leave them down there, do we? Or at least we try not to. We bring them out. And when we bring out, we, we, we celebrate and we yell and we cheer. Why? Because it is a picture of them being raised with Christ to new life, be, being filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit, being sent to the city to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. And listen to me, Jesus wants you. You may feel unseen, unloved, unwanted. Jesus wants you. He sees you and he's moved with compassion but you have to be broken. You have to be willing to be broken of your old self and say, I'm done with it. But if you would be done with it and would run to Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, you have no idea the abundance that he has for you. It says, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men between 
besides women and children, Jesus has abundance for our city. He has so much. If we would be moved by compassion, if we would allow that compassion to push us outwards, if we would allow ourselves to be blessed, to be broken, and to be given, we have no idea the abundance that Jesus has for this city. If we would love it, if we would care for it, he has more than we could ever imagine. So here, here's what I want to end with. Um, when we planted this church, before any of us had any idea what it would become, we wrote down this vision of what we saw for our city, what we longed for our city, what we hoped for our city. And, and I just want you to hear this. And so here, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm actually, I'm gonna, because we're going to worship in a second here, I'm going to actually ask you to stand right where you're at. And maybe if you're able, stand right where you're at. You don't need to see anything. So if, if you're not able to stand, that's okay. You can, but I just wanna, I wanna commission you with this, with this call, with this burden, with this picture for our city. And if you agree, as I share these things, would you just verbally affirm them? Would you just pray these things over our city? We exist to rise up and saturate our city with the gospel. Everywhere you turn in our city, you will see followers of Jesus rise to their true calling, declaring, displaying, and living out the power of the gospel. Amen? Like ink spilled across a map, every neighborhood will experience the transforming power of God's people on mission in their city. As the local church, we exist to call forth, to raise up, and to send out disciples with a mission igniting hearts all over the city. Hearts set on fire to see the kingdom of God break forth. You wanna see the kingdom of God break forth in our city? You guys, no more are the days of the people of our city feeling like they have to leave in order to dream big and live with significance. No more young lives wasted in idleness and futility. Our city is not a place to commute away from but a city filled with a life and purpose that is brought about by the gospel. No more are the days of the church losing influence with each passing generation. Rather, there is a wave rising up, a wave ready to soak and crash over our city, soaking it with the love of Jesus. This is the church's moment in time. Our turn to have our voice be heard, and that voice will declare with vitality that Jesus is alive and well. Amen? That Jesus, that the gospel is raising the spiritually dead to life, that the kingdom of God is on a mission to bring forth life in our city. God did not give his church a mission. Rather, he gave his mission a church. And that is the role that we play. And so one day, Every person in our city will know that there is a place to call, a place to belong, a people to call home, and a God who will call them to more than they ever imagined because together we are the church of Jesus. Together we are on the mission of Jesus, and together we will rise. That is our vision. That is why we hold services in the middle of a city because we love this city. Why do we love this city? Because Jesus loves it. So we go outward towards our city. Why? Because Jesus has called us outward. And we use our gifts because each and every one of you is God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Lord, 
as we gather in the middle of our city. Lord, would, would we just experience your gospel in a powerful way today? Would we be renewed and recharged as we celebrate this sacrament of baptism? As we cheer and we yell with all of heaven, Lord, would you just move in our hearts in such a powerful way? And here's what I want to say. Listen to me. With your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you are here today and you want to put your faith in Jesus, today is the day. Just pray something like this after me. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that you created me for a relationship with you. But Lord, I admit that my sin has created a separation in our relationship. But I want that separation no more. I believe your son, I believe Jesus came, died, and three days later rose again. And I want his lordship over my life. Lord, we pray that all of us would submit to your lordship and your call and your burden over our lives. And today as we celebrate these baptisms and as we worship you in the middle of this, would you just move in our hearts in a powerful way. We pray all this in your name, amen.